Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. So we've, we've been speaking about solemn assemblies. Um, last week I gave some kind of historical examples from the word of solemn assemblies. Times when the Lord raised up a leader to see the condition of the people of God. And that leader called the people of God to turn back to the Lord from wherever it was that they were. And there, I gave you numerous examples from the word of that, but there... <clears throat> This is something that has gone on among the people of God uh, for the last 2,000 years. Uh, Since the people of God now are spread across the earth in almost every country and people group on the earth, it's, it's pretty difficult to get us all together in one place and, and repent together. So since the apostolic church, solemn assemblies have been much more localized, uh, focusing on individual churches, focusing on cities, focusing on regions, rather than including all the people of God. Like I said, that was much easier in Israel where the people of God were located all in one place and now now we're not. So I I was going to give you some examples from American history of solemn assemblies. Many times they've preceded revivals and mighty moves of God. Uh, But I, I, I don't feel like that's where I'm supposed to go right now. I, I feel like I'm, I'm supposed to ask you just a question. Uh, and uh, you, I, I would say this is a rhetorical question in, in that I'm, I'm not expecting each of you to answer me, but you, you may want to answer the Lord either now or or later, um, do do you have anything to repent of? Um, do you have anything to repent of? Do you have anything to repent of? If you're thinking no, you're deceived. I believe I can safely say that. There there are those who think that the Solemn Assembly was strictly an Old Testament pre-New Covenant concept or idea. Uh, The best way for me to Um, approach that argument 
is looking at Revelation chapter 2 and 3. See, the, the Lord, he, he loves for there to be nothing uh, between him and you. Uh, when, when we are thinking living, acting in ways that do not affirm him as king of the universe, God of our life, God of creation, then that, that, that hinders our fellowship with, with him. It, it does not remove our, our salvation but it makes it easy for the enemy to come against us and accuse us and when we're in condemnation uh, we, we tend to not feel like we can come to the Lord because we, we've got to do some penance we, we've, we've got to make ourselves pay a little bit. We've got to beat ourselves up a little bit. And, and that is very much not a New Testament concept. You see, the Lord just wants us, when, when we have wandered away with our thinking, our living, our, our whatever, uh, He just wants us to turn back to Him and agree with Him and have that fellowship immediately restored. Uh, see, because Jesus paid for everything. He, he took the full wrath of God. He didn't, he didn't leave a little bit just for you. And this is an important concept for us. Because... There, there is so much in, in what Jesus did for us. But I, I feel like the Lord wanted us to look at the first church in Revelation chapter 2 this morning. And I apologize for not having a PowerPoint this morning. I think maybe... Uh, you'll you'll learn to bring your Bibles again <laughs> if I continue to do this. <laughs> hmm. See, there there are some understandings about these churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that, that we should have. Uh, many students of the Bible, theologians, believe that the seven churches relate to seven general time periods that the church will go through between the apostolic church and the time that Jesus returns. And I, I tend to agree with that. That there, if, if we are near the time of Jesus' return, and I do believe that we are, then the tendency of the church will be toward the problems of Laodicea. But at any time in church history, there have been individual church fellowships in the condition of each of the seven churches. At the same time, uh, each individual follower of Jesus our lives can primarily be explained 
by one of those seven churches. So I, I think what the Lord wants us to do next in the teaching time is for us to look at those seven churches and understand what exactly Jesus was speaking to those seven churches and not just to those seven churches but to his followers from then until now and until he returns so that we can have a better understanding of the ways the enemy comes against us as, as the people of God. And if, if, we, if we are more aware of the enemy's tricks and schemes because he, he doesn't have anything new for this generation. He's, he's doing what he's been doing for the last 2,000 years. And it's been fairly successful for him up to now. He's, he's learned to package things a little differently for different generations in order to sell because I think a, a lot of what people in marketing do, well, I better not go there. Uh, <laughs> I think you know where I was headed. Selling us things that we don't need Anyway, that's, we, we don't need to go there. So today I, I want to look at the, the church in Ephesus. The, the literal meaning of Ephesus is desirable. And this is Jesus speaking to John at this point. And he says to the angel or to the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers or overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So Jesus, thank you for this letter. I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation for us, your people. That you would deliver us from the sins, the issues of the church in Ephesus. In Jesus' name. So there, there are a couple issues with the church in Ephesus. And most would place the apostolic church maybe the first 300 years of church history in under this general category, the church in Ephesus. So 
How does this apply to us? Well, there are a couple main problems that Jesus had with the church in Ephesus. And one thing that we have got to understand as foundational as, as we look at these churches is that we, we have this God of grace and mercy who sent his son Jesus to bring his kingdom to the earth and through his followers the, the church was established on earth and we as the people who have followed that that message of the apostles we we receive grace and 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 the lord receives us and and he shows us mercy and we we get to receive what we don't deserve and we get to not receive what we do deserve and the Lord is easily pleased with us when we turn to him when when we become his children that's all true he is easily pleased It is difficult to satisfy him. It's, it's not either or. It's both and. The Lord is pleased with you this morning. But he wants more for you this morning. That is true. When, when you consider this letter uh, applies to the apostolic church, that, that was an amazing, wonderful, powerful expression of the church on, on the earth. But most of those people had left their first love for the Lord. How can that happen? Well, we we get caught up in the activities of obeying the Lord. We we get caught up in ministry. We get caught up in helping people. We, we get caught up in the things that we're supposed to be doing and, and we, we lose that fiery heart that we had when the Lord first called our name and we received his wonderful forgiveness and justification that miraculously gave us, as we were, the righteousness of Jesus. And so we can, over time, we, we can get to a place where our, our living is focused on showing the Lord that we indeed deserved that great gift that he gave us. Which is totally false and will never be true. We, we could never do enough never be enough to deserve what God did for us. Not possible. 
but we, we can get to that place. We, we can actually, you know, if our personal righteousness gets to a certain place and we're among a, a relatively religious people, which I'm really hopeful that we're not here, in, in the negative sense of that term, which means religion is all about us getting to God when he already came all the way to us. And anyway, that's <laughs> for another day, maybe. But we, we can actually get to the point, religious people can actually get to the point where they, they think that, well... Isn't God lucky to have a people like us? He, he must be so happy that we are His. And it must be such a blessing for Him to come to our gatherings. And, and what, what would you think the Lord's response to that would be well he he talks to a, a later church about throwing up literally and I, I kind of think that's uh, about how he feels when we get to that place because as as we grow closer to the Lord, as we draw nearer to Him, and we, we receive more of, of His grace, our need or our awareness of our need for Him, every day, every minute, should, should become greater our awareness of that should become greater than, than less as we draw nearer to him. Because as we, as we see him as he is more, naturally we will see ourselves more as we are. And that, that can lead to one of two responses. We, we either say, well, I'm going to be better so, so I'm going to do more for God so that I will be better and I, I will not be so bad. And, and that would be the wrong response. The right response would be to run harder after him, showing more gratitude for the grace that, and mercy that he's already shown and daily asking him for more grace to be who he now says we are. And if, if that's our response, then we, we will not have the issue of losing our first love. Because if, if you want to do a heart check or a gut check to find out if this first issue with the church in Ephesus applies to you, then check your current level of gratitude toward the Lord. If, if you're overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving for how good he has been to you, then you're prob this probably doesn't apply to you, this first part. But if, if you're somewhat lacking in the gratitude and thankfulness area, toward the Lord, then you may need to look 
a little deeper at whether you are walking in your first love or, or not. Because the, the Lord is coming back as a bridegroom. And he's, he's coming back for a bride with flaming love for the bridegroom. Uh, a bride who so wants the bridegroom to be happy and to get everything that he wants that that is is the thing that stares us in the face the first thing every morning and i i pray that that the lord will get us there as as we see him pour out more and more of his goodness through us and this this leads us to the next great issue of the church in Ephesus. See, it's, it's through all of us. Because this is the other issue that he has with the church. He says in verse 6, Yet this you have... You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So, this, sorry, this, this was a positive thing for the church in Ephesus. It, it becomes a negative thing for one of the other churches. But I, I want us to understand this doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Because it, it is the primary strategy of the enemy today. There are a couple different understandings of, of this doctrine. And I think they both have a lot of merit so that we need to look at both of them and not argue which one was right because the New Testament doesn't tell us a whole lot about who the Nicolaitans were. We primarily have to rely on some of the writings of the first century historians. But the first understanding of the Nicolaitans, and this was a positive thing for the church in Ephesus and also for the apostolic church. They, they fought this. Others have been much less successful. The first understanding is that it related to a misunderstanding of the role and function of the laity versus the, the leadership of the church. And, and I think in, in our day, this, this is a huge issue. See, when, when each of us comes to the Lord we have a a calling a destiny in his kingdom there there is a destiny that he wants to fulfill in each believer's life which is why he makes us a new creation and he he wants every follower of his to 
understand his kingdom and bring his kingdom everywhere we go on the earth. And this, this doctrine of, of the Nicolaitans is that, well, well, that's for the clergy. You know, the, the rest of the church, uh, you, you just have to come and give your tithes and, and be good. And that's not the church. That's, that's more like a social club. None, none of your callings is, is any less than mine. You, you will not be any less responsible for your calling and fulfilling your destiny than, than me. Do, do you understand that? The, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, at least one of our understandings of it, is, is that you're, you're basically here to, to help and fund people like me so, so that we can do God's work. And most of us have probably been in churches over our lifetime where that was the, the doctrine that was being lived out, whether or not it was taught or not. It probably wasn't being taught, but it was, it was being modeled by somebody. And that, that is from the, the pit, is where that is from. Are you with me? I, I feel like I need to re repeat that, that one point, that each of us, all of us, if, if we have come to the Lord and we've been born of the Spirit and made a new creation, we, we have a calling and a destiny, and, and we, we are individually responsible for fulfilling it before the Lord. It's, it's not just for me. You see, what Paul wrote in Ephesians is those leaders who are given to the church, our, our primary function is, is to help train all of you so that you can do what you're called to do. And as, as we, as, as a church, em, embark on all of these new small groups that are starting this month, that, that is our purpose. You've, you've got uh, six or seven choices. I can't even remember the number of groups that we're starting right now. But you, you've got that many choices of uh, what to participate in and learn. And, and what we want to happen in, in these groups is that we, we develop relationships with, with each other and we, we share our triumphs and our struggles and our joy and our sorrow together as we live life together and we support and encourage each other as, as we learn to be who God called us to be. And, and together go out and, and do the work that God's called all of us to do. So I, I really encourage everybody to pick a group, and uh, there's, there's one just about every night of the week, so even if you have a tight schedule, you can uh, fit it in somewhere. Uh, this, this, is, this is critical. The, the early church, the the earliest church, the apostolic church that started on the day of Pentecost with 120 and then 3,000 more later that day, they, they met together in large groups in the synagogue and then they met in homes together and 
They shared meals and time together. And there's something to that. There's something different that happens in a small group in a home or even if it meets here. There's something different that happens in those groups than can happen here where most of you are staring at the back of each other's heads. There, there isn't time for dialogue. You know, if, we, if we tried to do that, we, we wouldn't get anywhere in, in this size of a group. Although we, we may do that at some point if that's what the Lord wants to do. So that, that is one aspect of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The, the other is uh, <clears throat> another great problem that, that we face today. And that understanding of, of the Nicolaitans dealt with a what could be described as a misunderstanding of grace. It could be described as a misunderstanding of uh, how we are put together as people with three parts, spirit, soul, and body. But the, the result was that, that basically people believed that they could do whatever they wanted to do and, and be just fine with the Lord. Including uh, sexual immorality and what was a big deal in the first century church, eating foods that were sacrificed to idols. Now, for us, we, we have a hard time wrapping our head around the idea of uh, eating food sacrificed to idols. But the, the issue was deeper than that. It, it was at the heart of eating food sacrificed to idols was that there were followers of Jesus who wanted to continue to participate in the pagan celebrations and not be looked upon as weird or antisocial so they would eat the food that was sacrificed to idols even though the apostles had told them that that was not okay. And so, so what, what is the modern day equivalent of eating food sacrificed to idols? Well, right now, today, it might be gay marriage. You know, I, I just read an article about uh, the Anglican Church in England and a Mennonite seminary here in the U.S. They, they are both taking another look at gay marriage because we, we've got to base our position on new scientific research related to same-sex attraction. And we've, we've got to include uh, changing social outlook on such things. Uh, is, is that what the church is, is supposed to base our views upon? Well, it, it starts with eating food sacrificed to idols. 
because we, we don't want to be looked down upon as antisocial or judging those who participate in such pagan rituals. You know, maybe, maybe we could just go to the pagan ritual and, and maybe even uh, witness to people. Right? That sounds good, right? Well, the thing about deception is it starts very subtly. If he can just get a toe in the door and maybe a finger then maybe a couple more fingers and a little more of the foot and pretty soon okay we're in and nobody even knows that we're here only took 25 years but hey when you're outside of time who cares? So, they're blowing the shofar in there. <laughs> Let's see if anything happens. <laughs> see, that's, that's the way the enemy works. He, he doesn't start out trying to get church leaders to say gay marriage is okay and now we're going to conduct same-sex marriages. Oh, no. He, he starts 25 years ago with, with something way more subtle. So, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was, you know, one, one of the ways that the enemy got this in there was uh, a, a Gnostic understanding of our, our being. That our, and, and it starts with the truth. Here's... <laughs> And, and it usually does, or it starts with something that's close to the truth. That our spirit, when we come to the Lord, has, has been justified and is, is perfect before the Lord because we, we have the righteousness of Jesus. And that's true. But then over a period of time, the Gnostics said, well... You know, since our spirit is perfect before God, and there is spirit and there's flesh, just like Paul says, and since our, our flesh is bad, and, and flesh means our body. See, that's where the comes in. So it really doesn't matter what our flesh does, because our spirit is right with God. So, because of the grace of God that is so wonderful, we can actually do whatever we want and still be perfect. Whew. That's a whopper. But some people have swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. What, what does it mean? And, and there are people buying it today. And, and it's not just with gay marriage either. I, I mean, I've been picking on that one a lot lately, but 
If, if you look at some surveys that Barna Group has done comparing the lifestyles of those who consider themselves born again with, with those who don't, there's virtually no difference in the divorce rate, in the abortion rate, in whatever it is. So this, this stuff has snuck in somewhere. And the Lord is pleased with you but he's not satisfied. He has grace for us. And we need his grace every day. But what is his grace? There's kind of three aspects to, to this idea of, of grace. There's justification that, that we've talked about already. When we receive the Lord, we, we are washed, our, our spirit receives the righteousness of Christ. And, and all is forgiven. And the crazy part of that is it's, it's rec- retro and proactive, if you didn't understand that. That forgiveness that you receive, it goes back to your birth and it goes to your death. Or Jesus coming back. It's, it's all covered. And, and that is awesome. And... God's, God's grace is, is that he, he gives us this righteousness. And he also, in his grace, is, is this empowering that we receive in order to be obedient to him and do his will. And, and even more than that, there's the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives that are part of his grace. So that we, you and I, all of us can fulfill our calling in his kingdom. He, he gives us what we need. And if, if you're in a place where you don't think you're getting what you need to do what you're called to do, then ask for more grace. And and that's a, a solid New Testament concept to ask for more grace. And in fact, if if we want to be really honest about it, we, we need to ask for more grace every day. If, if we will be realistic. But that grace is, is not something that makes disobedience okay. I mean, in a sense, yes. Because that forgiveness was from back there to up there. But that's not what the grace was for. (laughs) Now, that was what the grace was for initially when you were born again. But now the grace is for us to hear God's voice and be equipped and enabled to do what he said. Because the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus said in John 17 and John 15, to love me is to obey what I say. 
So that is what grace is for. And, and that process that I've been talking about is, is the sanctification process. That is our soul primarily since our spirit is righteous before God, our, our soul coming into agreement. That's our, our thinking and our will, which covers our doing. So the grace in sanctification is in coming into agreement with what God says about who we are and what our life is to be about. And, and what we're doing day to day. And, and our will, our, our choosing of, of what to do and what to agree with. And then finally, the, the final aspect of God's grace in our lives is, is going to be glorification. Which Jesus has already experienced. He's, he's the first fruit of the resurrected ones. He, he still is human. He still is God. He doesn't have his earthly flesh and blood body that he had when he walked on the earth anymore. He has a glorified, resurrected body. And when he returns, we will also get a resurrected body similar to his. And at that point, the work of God's grace will, will be complete. It will have covered our spirit that happened at our new birth, our regeneration. It will have covered our soul our mind, our will, our emotions in that sanctification and it will have covered our body in the final glorification. Now, now here is something for you to chew on. I wish I could remember where I heard this one but it was sometime in, in the last week and Randy, maybe you'll remember because I, I think you might have told me this. Not to get you in trouble. He was relaying it from another source. Uh, what if... What if... And I'm, I'm getting a little more memory of where this came from. Oh, I think it was Michelle who relayed this to me. <laughs> Either Terry Bennett or... Was Rick Joyner? Okay. Uh, Rick Joyner had an encounter with Elijah and with Enoch, right? And in his conversation with one or both of those guys, uh, it was made somewhat clear to him that the progress that we make with our soul on the earth is as far as we get with our soul. In that, Elijah, in eternity, was still struggling with depression. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm not giving you this as theology, okay? This, this is an experience by somebody who I, I generally trust, Rick Joyner. And I, I don't have uh, scripture to, to back this up yet because I really haven't had much time to chew on it. But what if that were true? Would you not want to get your soul as healed and whole 
as you possibly could on this earth? You all should be nodding yes right now. Yes. And uh, yeah, we will, Art and I will study on that and <laughs> we'll, we'll see where we, we end up on that. But consider it. You know, we, we offer a, a lot of tools here at, at this church to, to help people's souls get healed and well. Freedom appointments, encounter weekends, um, theophostics. Uh, there's, uh, you know, lots, lots of stuff, tools available. And so if you're struggling with something with, within your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions... Seek healing and seek wholeness. It, it is, it, it's a tragedy for Jesus to have paid for something for us that we leave on the table. Because it's so not necessary. So, <clears throat> you know, as, as, I'm, as I've been looking at these seven churches, uh, the need for solemn assembly is, is being reinforced, not undermined. And, and I think you'll, you'll agree with me as, as we look at these seven churches. Because there, there, there were two that Jesus didn't didn't have any issue with. That's where I want to be. That's where I want us to be. So I, I ask you again, and I'm, I'm praying for a release of the Father's heart to us. The Father's heart for, for us as individuals, for our church, for our city, and beyond. And I, I pray that over us. I bless us with the heart of the Father to, to see ourselves as He does, to see each other as He does, to see the church in the city as he does, to see our, our city as he does and, and to begin to cry out. So I'm going to ask you that question again. Do, do you have anything to repent of? Do you have anything to repent of? And I'm, I'm just inviting you to come and do that at, at the front. We're not yet where God wants us to be. as a people.
as, as his people.